Hello foodies. Welcome to the Breaking Bread Podcast. The foodie podcast presented by food obsessed mates Liam, that's me, and Carl, that's me. Join us as we aim to peel back the curtain and give food lovers like us a real insight into what makes the hospitality industry so fantastic. Our fortnightly episodes will bring interviews with people from all over the industry. And Liam and I will discuss everything food related from reviewing places we've ate to chatting about recipes we're experimenting with at home we hope you enjoy listening to our chats as much as we re- enjoy recording them okay well hi i'm naomi um, morris and i'm 28 um, my business is morridge so as you can probably guess that comes from my last name um, morris and then porridge so a bit of a pun morridge and then also there's the concept that it is more than more than porridge um, so it's kind of got a dual meaning, but definitely it w- it did stem from my name. Uh, tell us a bit about your product. Like, what, so you've touched upon it there. It's gourmet kind of porridge. Yeah, so um, it's quite varied. Um, the base of it is that it's sort of using organic oats and grains. Um, mainly oats take sort of centre stage, but um, using other grains and different types of oats as well, um, which lots of people aren't necessarily familiar with um so the sort of base of the business is um porridges um and I've got a, I found a amazing supplier a small family um farm in Shropshire who roll their own organic oats uh, jumbo oats that I use um for a porridge base and that's um kind of what I use for the breakfast side so the business is kind of split between two um uh, like well <laughs> it's hard to describe um so it started off by this original idea that I had was I wanted to have a trike um and I wanted to serve porridge um it all stemmed from um I was at uh, UCB University College Birmingham um, yeah. doing um a degree in culinary arts management and it came up in a module um creative management that we had to do a business pitch so it was like an elevated pitch for five minutes yeah and I was noticing that how many people were sort of eating more porridge, seeing it as a healthy option for breakfast. Um, and I was doing a lot with it myself. I'm, I've always been into sort of nutrition and healthy eating and eating um, food that's good for me and it's kind of going to nourish me, nourish my soul. And um, so and with my kind of chef cooking background, I was sort of just finding myself experimenting with porridge at home I was seeing oats as very much like a base but they hold lots of flavour um, and I was doing loads of different things adding different milks and um, also was kind of re- um, what's the word realising the potential with toppings and like using utilising seasonal ingredients doing different things with fruit compots that were in season yeah. um, loads of different like textures and like nuts and grains and um, putting yeah seeds and stuff like that on top um and then that matched up with basically I had this one eureka moment where I was in town at York's Bakery opposite Snow Hill I know it well yeah (laughs) (laughs) um and I was like uh I I kind of I was going past I was on my way to uni and I was noticing that this queue was kind of coming out the door and 
I went in a few times to grab a coffee and then like was sort of seeing that people were there for breakfast and then there was porridge on the menu and then it was kind of like it was always sold out and I was like well what's going on um and then I went a few times to try and get this porridge I was like I've got to try the porridge and then it was always sold out so one time I went I went there early and I'd been warned by the staff they said you've got to come before like 10 if you want if you want to grab some we only make like one batch and then like that's done and then I went once early to, and I was standing in this queue and there was just these men in business suits kind of just standing there and I got chatting to one and he was like, no, I've got to get my almond milk porridge in the morning. And I was like, kind of just stood back and I was like, wow, and thought about it. And I thought people's attitudes are really changing and everyone is sort of caring more about what they're putting into their bodies and also just caring about breakfast, like first meal of the day. And more and more people are busy and on the rush and obviously that spot opposite snow hill it's there's high footfall big like commuter area whether they're going to business um whether they're going to offices or they're going like i'm going to uni just around the corner to ucb that i was like it's just this is kind of something to tap into and then marrying that with what i was doing myself and cooking it a lot so i pitched this business idea at uni where i actually funnily enough it was a trike um and i kind of was matching that up with being sort of public facing being out on the street catching the foot catching footfall where people were rushing either off the train or rushing to work to get breakfast and kind of seeing it as a bit of a like porridge bar or like you know having a porridge base or an oat base but doing different things and going with the seasons obviously winter is we all know porridge uh, is great but then summer doing other things like granolas and overnight oats and bircher and muesli and like it just seems like those kind of things have just taken off since this initial idea. Like everyone's knows overnight oats now. Yeah, you see it everywhere. Everyone's trying it. It's it's yeah. compl- it's crazy. I think years ago you would have just seen people queuing, like especially maybe uh, businessmen ca- queuing for their coffee and their bacon roll, or yeah, and that, now they're queuing for porridge. Yeah, I've noticed that quite a lot as well. And you see a lot of Insta photos of their overnight porridges and stuff. Looks great. And mm. um, when you say um you use different oats that people might not have heard of oh yeah so that was probably a bit misleading but so during sort of coming up with this business idea um i did some research and i was in copenhagen um and then i was in berlin for the european street food awards and i know that those sort of countries and especially scandinavia they're big into like porridge and they had both places both berlin and copenhagen had specifically like porridge cafes and I went along and I kind of you know I looked down the menu and saw that obviously porridge we all know is a breakfast dish but then sort of come like lunchtime the lunchtime menu changed to savoury porridges so they'd kind of have like they might have like a beetroot one or a mushroom one or like a kind of Chinese congee and it'd be sort of based around like still using oats but more like risotto-y but they still called it the savoury porridge and I came back and spe- picking up on my idea and speaking about it to people everyone sort of said well it's very breakfast orientated and part of it is that that's kind of the niche market that I wanted to target was breakfast market and I was kind of fine that it was just a breakfast breakfast food that I was selling yeah. and then I I was talking to a few people and I happened to be talking to the guys from Digworth Dining Club and I'd said about the trips that I'd been on and that they all do savoury porridge and I kind of thought that might be an option but 
it was something that I didn't necessarily feel like the UK or Birmingham market was ready to, or not ready for, but to really take to something that was like a savoury porridge. Yeah. So I kind of like re-looked at that and it was actually the guys at Digbeth who asked me if I would do an event there and just do savoury dishes. And I was a bit like, oh, that's not really, I haven't really thought of that yet like you know porridge and breakfast had been the main part of the business but I thought you know what they're giving me a chance here and why not like this is this is so great to to be able to do Digbeth Dining Club so I kind of looked at what I thought I might do and I thought I'm gonna look at more of a risotto so yeah the um Pim Hill Farm who I get my oats from they do like they're called they call them pinhead oats so they're like chopped oats so it's a bit like oat, nerdy oat stuff, <laughs> but what, the oat that grows on the on the from the ground is is called a groat. So that's more like the grain, and then that gets rolled. That then it becomes yeah. the oat. So you know, like you have rolled oats. Whereas the pinhead oat or chopped oat from that groat, the grain, it just gets chopped down. So there's no like rolling process. So it is sort of like kind of looks a bit like short grain rice or kind of a cross between pearl barley. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, you do see that quite often. Chefs using pearl barley to make yeah. a kind of risotto. Yeah. kind of concept. Yeah, and I really like pearl barley. I've used a lot. I really like that in risottos. I think it gives a really nice texture. So I I ended up buying a bag of the these pinhead chopped oats from my supplier and thought, oh, I'll, I'll give that a go. So I made risottos with that, and it was just perfect. Like, it, I made it exactly the same as you would a normal risotto, Um, you know, with, like, your mirapar base and... Um, and kind of adding your stock slowly, and it it worked so it worked really well. It was um, like it kept its texture. It was it's a whole grain, so it had a bit more bite. It was a bit more nutty, and um, and then I from then developed that into doing arancini. Yeah. So um, I, that was something I never really pictured. But as I was kind of doing my recipe development and developing dishes, I was like, well, if I'm going to make a risotto, I can just turn this into. Um, an arancini which is great yeah um so i did a bit of research i went down to london and they there's a some uh, guys down there called the arancini brothers who do um like vegan arancini and i went there and thought more about it and yet i ended up putting that i did risottos and then i did arancini um on my first menu i did at dig the dining club at them no bones which was is their um veggie vegan event and the arancini just flew out and was so popular and I got some really good feedback and I did um some like homemade sauces and like um yeah homemade blackberry ketchup and different things and made it completely plant-based it was vegan not necessarily intentionally like I myself I'm not vegan I eat meat but I um try and eat um high well you know high welfare high grade yeah don't give um, up meat altogether just yeah eat better eat, meat. Yeah, yeah eat better quality meat um as much as i can local locally sourced and i i do eat sort of a plant-based and veg, veg vegetarian diet most of the time when i'm cooking for myself and i like to think that there's some great people out there who do street food that are doing meat and are so good at it and that's their talent and that's their skill and like i my i'm not a massive meat cooker if that's the word um and if I can sort of utilize my skills and what I like to eat and use vegetables and use plant ingredients that are going to taste great that people are going to love then that's kind of what I'm going to that's what I'm so happy to do yeah yeah um so I did the arancini and they went down really well and it was sort of like people were kind of 
I don't think massively like there was no real difference in the fact it was chopped oats or rice um I think from a health point of view obviously the oats are probably you know they're a whole grain they're slow releasing yeah, they're, they're better, a bit yeah. better high in fiber and things like that so that's kind of where that part of the business then went for a while I was doing events and street food things and fe- a few festivals one in London um where I did I started off early in the morning doing doing porridge and um, had also did some pancakes, so oat-based pancakes, um, where I like milled the oats, and so it was more like oat flour mixed in with some rolled oats, so it got some texture. And did some breakfast pancakes, and they went, they flew out. Obviously, everyone loves pancakes, yeah. and they were vegan, so that was very popular, especially in London. And so going back to um, your Digbeth dining, were you surprised yeah. by how well it went down? I was. I mean, I I did the one, the first one that they did, so I think they were sort of unsure too about the veggie vegan the no bones event and i'm back there next week and i was like i was so nervous because i hadn't really long been started and i was a bit unsure about the savory menu and how well it would be received if people would be put off by the oats but i couldn't have asked for it i couldn't have asked for it to be better like people so many people coming back complimenting it and people coming back who were kind of in groups and families and then ordering, like, kind of getting the risotto and then being like, oh, we want to try the arancini yeah. or the other way yeah. around. And that was, like, amazing. And it was it was great, definitely, for one of the first events I did. It was so... it For me, um, it was really a real good, like, confidence boost and sort of a belief in Morridge. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a good sign of how far the kind of food you've seen in Birmingham's gone, where... It, if you said maybe 10, 15 years ago, I'm going to stick uh, this um, savoury porridge kind of risotto thing on the menu mm-hmm. and uh, I'm going to hope for the best. I don't know if it would have took 10, 15 years ago, but especially with Digbeth Dines, you can go to Digbeth Dine and have um, food from all over the place, you know, all in one place. And that they seem to be willing to give people a chance to prove if it's good or not. And it's just crazy I think it's brilliant it's absolutely brilliant yeah and it definitely I think I mean I've done a few events you know when you're getting started out and I know that a lot of street food traders will understand the events you don't do well at you don't get the foot you don't get the turnout you expect or people just aren't necessarily interested in your food and you don't you do worse than you thought um and you have to take the good with the bad but I think at Digbeth the good thing is there is a lot of people are into food and they go and they're willing they want to try different things they know that the traders there are of a certain standard like yeah. they are going to be good you know like they're not they're going to be getting most you know like hand like homemade like food that people are really passionate about yeah and i couldn't believe that it was it started at 12 and we had a, i had a few teething problems as you do my the hob that i had so I didn't have anything to cook on Um, I had to fry those it was fine so we could do arancini but with it like sort of the first five past twelve there was a queue people had read the menu and wanted to get the food and I was like oh gosh this is amazing but also like ah we're not ready (laughs) but um yeah no that was that was great yeah there seems to be a common theme with street food it's it can be hard work things go wrong all the time yeah they do (laughs) and I I think you have to be I mean I was really I was lucky well I worked for um a street food business baked in brick um yeah. i worked for that for lee um for sort of like eight months prior to me starting morridge and that was so, that was great experience and a great company to work for obviously this 
Lee's so successful and he's done amazing things in Birmingham. It's done brilliant. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. And to be able to work for him and him being like really understanding and sort of encouraging of Morridge and like showing me the ropes and letting me like sort of run some events and taking me to the street food awards um I got to go to the street food awards in Manchester and then the ones in well I went to Berlin and just that experience that I gained and the the people that I met are the traders chatting to everyone sort of like networking and the contacts Mm -hmm. and like him him behind me like we did an event um with NCAS at the congress festival in Cardiff and Lee let me sort of kind of give Morridge a go and do the first course of this brunch, private brunch and let me do more, a Morridge dish. Um, so I did like a little taster, kind of small size porridge that was beetroot and apple. And um, like just to be able to have that platform and let him, he let me sort of, you know, have a go and, and put myself out there. And that was like amazing. And seeing that sort of the way it works as well, I think that would be my advice to anyone wanting to get into it, like work for someone first and like little things like I, I mean, my background and work experiences in cooking and being a chef, but street food is so much more than that. Like you have to be every, you have to be everything, you know, it's like PR, like marketing, it's being an electrician, being a plumber, being like, um, kind of like an interior designer, like you're, designing your menu being yeah. a chef like it's everything and I think that I some of the things I'm not so good at so the electric I think that's a great power. point going back to um how you said about going to work for somebody else get the exp- everyone seems to be in such a rush now to just go out and get their own business nobody mm-hmm. wants to do the hard yards mm. is that something you've always done or like there seems to be a common theme like yeah oh, I knew about this so I wanted to go I worked here for a few years I'd heard about the porridge in Denmark, I think you said, so I went and checked them places out. Mm-hmm. So is that something you've always, like, how, is that, how has that been instilled in you? Yeah, I think um, from when I sort of finished school, um, I wasn't too sure about what I wanted to do, but I knew that food and sort of running my own, running my own restaurant or cafe or doing something on my own was where... I wanted to go and I thought um I think maybe yeah I, I definitely thought I'm not going to go into this straight away because I'm I don't and I'm going to be out my depth I'm going to lose money and I need to I you know I need to get experience I need to go and get more like you know get more sort of more knowledge behind me was there somebody who gave you that advice or um no not yeah. <laughs> not not really um like so when I was very smart (laughs) when I was um at so I was at UCB doing my degree in culinary arts management and we had to do um, a compulsory placement and go so the degree was based more around management and business but we had to go and work in a kitchen chef for a year um and I was kind of apprehensive but I thought you know what I'm going to take this opportunity in that I'm going to learn as much as I can in the kitchen. I don't necessarily want to be a chef. I didn't see that that was what I wanted to do in the long run. But I thought if I can go and work somewhere for a year and I can kind of soak up as much as I can, learn from some, you know, some really great chefs. Yeah. And I ended up getting a placement in Canada um, on Vancouver Island in um, an amazing little town called Tofino um, where I worked in a, a Relais Chateau restaurant 
it was a Relaine Chateau hotel, but the restaurant was very high end. I mean, they don't have Michelin stars over there, but it was it was Michelin. It, it was, was Michelin, Michelin quality, quality yeah. definitely. Um, so I went out there and I worked there for a year. And I mean, to say it was like it, so I couldn't I couldn't even sort of exp- express. It was one of the best and worst years of my life. Like I was living in an amazing place and I was working in an incredible hotel, but the work was hard. I didn't have any, I hadn't had any college training as a chef. I was so worried about my knife skills. I was like, I can't chop quickly. I have to, you know, everything take, I'm so slow. I don't know about flavor. I don't know about tasting. Um, But I went out there and I think all I sort of could say was that I was like, all, all I can do is work hard, keep my head down, listen, retain, you know, listen to what the chefs are telling me, take it on board. And the first summer, like, Obviously, it was quite a seasonal place. It was yeah. on the coast. So the summer, I remember the first summer, I don't, well, I don't remember it. For three months, I went in and obviously I was kind of the apprentice. So um, I just did what I was told. I was using all these ingredients that I'd never even heard of. Yeah. Um, the executive chef asked me to use arugula. And I was like, I don't know what that is. Like, I feel so stupid. And then I was like, I can't, I can't say anything. And then I thought, no, Naomi, come on. You don't know. So ask him. Like you've got every right to not know what's you know what things are. You're you're new to this, so I I plucked up the courage to ask him, and he was like, "Oh, sorry, I completely forgot. You're English. It's rocket. We call it arugula here." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, that's fine." Um, and I you know I got the chance while I was there. I was on garde manger, so it was like kind of cold starters, but in it was a very small kitchen, so it was actually that I ran basically like all starters all so I was starts, doing hot yeah. starters and the cold stuff and one of my jobs was to do a mousse bouche so I had to come up with something every day that was a little a small little snack that the, the guests and the diners would get before their meal kind of to get the taste buds going to set them up for what was to come so it kind of had to be you know kind of not intense but good flavor good textures and using ingredients that were quite that were sort of local so there was a lot of seafood there there was a lot of foraged herbs and greens and um I was I mean I put so much pressure on myself I was gonna say I was that's so, a lot of pressure <laughs> it was it was and I was also in charge one of the jobs I had to do was being in charge of ordering all the shellfish and the greens so I mean I was thrown in the deep end and I think I had like my mentor from UCB come out and visit me halfway through and and she was just like yeah basically when I I heard what you were doing it was sink or swim and she was like at least you, you've swam yeah. <laughs> I was like well I didn't really have any choice but I think the whole way through I knew I thought I'm not necessarily doing this because I want to go back home and then you know work in a Michelin star kitchen I thought this is teaching me so many other skills and I've got to just stick it out for a year work hard um and then you know I'm gonna it's gonna give me a really good grounding and know what it's like to be in a kitchen and sort of be that commie or be the apprentice and know sort of firsthand about how like it 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 is hard graft it's such hard work you know and I would go home every night and just be racked with worry of what was I going to do for a moose what am I going to do for a moose bouche tomorrow (laughs) and I like you know I used to have nightmares about it but set me up and it was like great experience and even now like I mean that that I worked there about five years ago like I've pulled back notes I've made I've got notebooks I've looked at menus and I'm using some of the things I learned there for Morridge um yeah. which is like crazy and um 
like for one of my risottos um I did like a um what I can't remember the dish I think it was I did sort of like a pumpkin and butternut squash risotto and then I did a burnt onion crumb which sounds really fancy and I mean it was a simple thing that we used to put on a lot of our dishes in Canada um and it was like burnt onion but then contrasted with like uh, brown sugar and ground almonds and it just kind of it's a real like salty sweet umami kick and I kind of remembered that I did that and I was like oh and I messaged my chef and he got back to me straight away and said yeah that's it it's like equal parts um and I was able to sort of remake that here and then put that on some of my dishes and I was like this is just like great to see it kind of going full circle I think that's a good lesson for anyone listening at home is maybe thinking about going into the chef world or setting up a street food business is it might be hard it might be not exactly what you wanted but just get your head down get stuck in don't be afraid to ask don't have the ego to say i know everything i don't think a kitchen's as scary a place as it used to be years ago head chefs seem to be a little bit more understanding they want to develop the young chefs i think i think that's some great advice there Naomi. (laughs) yeah and i i think i was i mean i was thinking about this earlier in that I've been really lucky that I've travelled a fair bit and um, I was a bit old. I sort of feel like I'm a... No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not old coming into coming into this game at all. But I think I'm at the right place. I've, had, I've worked in a few places um, and, you know, I was in Australia and I, I was... Um, I went... I worked for at Rick Stein's restaurant um, and I did that for a few months and then from that then I went to work on a farm and I did like fruit picking and I was you know right at kind of and I I mean I had to do that for my visa but I kind of saw that as an opportunity and I was like you know what I'm on a farm here and I'm actually seeing I was out in the field picking capsicum or peppers and courgettes and like everything and seeing that from its step from that stage and I was like it's all gonna kind of build up into this great kind of bag of of experience it gives you a good understanding of where the food that you're using yeah. is coming from like living in in the city sometimes we don't fully appreciate where our foods come yeah. from and that gave you a good opportunity definitely and i think that like no no experience or any kind of job is necessarily bad because you're going to get something from it and even if you're there sort of pulling your hair out going i can't believe i'm treated like this or i can't believe they're running they're running the business in this way i'd do it differently they're all just things that you can go away and go right okay well if i'm ever going to be in a place where i'm running a business i won't do that or i might take that that's a great point and then or or i might adapt that yeah 100 percent. you stuff that you can use when you're the boss yeah (laughs) you'll think i remember that horrible boss. i'm not going to be that person you know yeah um and I mean just finishing that point I I was also really lucky that I did a stage at the Hand and Flowers um is that so you, did you go from Australia back home to um yeah so I was in Australia for two years and then I came back and that was when I um started doing my degree um, oh yeah yeah and um and I think I was in maybe like two years in one summer I thought well I need to get some experience I want to get better at certain things and um I think that so well Tom Kerridge of they they were really open to having stages you know it was somewhere yeah. I applied to a few places applied applied to Sat Baines um and but the Hand and Flowers got back to me straight away sort of saying when can you come like August and then so I went for a week and um, I mean that was that was challenging and it was hard too too much two star yeah. yeah and um it really you know it opened my eyes up a lot to I guess what I'd expected and what the reality was and 
I guess in a way how it was treated and I mean I don't know how much to go into detail as much as you want really? talk because, as much as you I mean, want um, you can... I've been to the Hand and Flowers I did, have you? I did enjoy it yeah I thought it was a good yeah I mean like I I went um just okay with a similar attitude really like this is going to be a good experience I'm working I'm going to give the opportunity to be at a two Michelin star pub but with like chef Tom Kerridge at the helm and like great you know really great experience but I mean I had the worst time I think I think I've ever had in yeah. a, in because it was just I think the the sort of like lack of respect that I had but I mean that was to be expected I knew I was going to go and I was going to be picking herbs yeah. but it was like some of the comments by some of the other staff just absolutely looking down on me like I was just like dirt on the floor and yeah. I, you know you're kind of there being like I, I don't you, you'd really however much you think of me you don't know me and you don't have to be so rude yeah and um I was the job I was asked to do was um deep fry white bait which was the kind of their kind of amuse-bouche like yeah, everyone yeah. did you get that maybe yeah, deep fry yeah, white bait yeah. with like a merry race sauce yeah. so one of the jobs the stages had which I guess they saw as being quite easy was deep frying that getting it out the fryer and with your hands straight out the fryer to order picking them up all the little pieces up and putting them in like a newspaper basket and you kind of you go into an environment like that and you think like well I kind of said uh, can I use like tongs or something and it was like oh no 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 like no just use your hands you'll be fine you've got to be quick you need to use your hands to build up the um, yeah. tolerance to heat I've heard that quite yeah. quite often so and... I was there and I thought well I'm not going to argue with this do you know what I'm I mean part of me was like I'm a female here in a predominantly male kitchen I'm not going to be you know I'm not going to kind of wimp out I was like right I can do it I can do anything that the guys can do so I just got on with it and of course they were these fish were battered coming out a deep fat fryer so hot hotter than the sun yeah so I was like pick. you had to pick them up all individually because they had to look nice in this like newspaper basket so I was picking them out and putting them in and then you know sort of like two days two days in I had the biggest blisters on my fingers where like my my second finger and thumb had been picking them up got these huge blisters and it, it was just like like no one there was not even an ounce of care or, or kind of like oh gosh that is really hot are your hands alright or it was like just get on with it yeah, and I was like, <laughs> you're, you're only there on work experience or whatever that you were there for. But that that could have been a young chef willing to come into the game, you know, and yeah. that's going to put them straight off. They're not going to. I think kitchens are struggling for um, young talent coming through, and that's the kind of thing that's just going to put them right off. I know, and I mean, I know that I do. I gen, I do like you said before. I think that the kitchen culture is changing and staff are definitely chefs are definitely getting more days off and you know restaurants are tending to close like you know two to two and a half days a week to give staff that break because no one can work those hours and work that long without just burning out and that's why the chef industry is it's lacking so much in chefs that people you know restaurants are crying out for staff Mm. um and then you go to the Hand of Flowers where, I mean, I was there like two years ago and I remember at that time Sat Baines had just announced that he was giving, he was being closed for two and a half days. So staff were getting that time off. It might have been that they had to work long, you know, in the long run they weren't closed yeah. in some of the holidays. But still, you're getting that break. And I was at the Hand of Flowers, the staff didn't get, the it wasn't closed. It was the only, I think the only service they didn't do was Sunday night, yeah. Sunday evening, but they were there all day. And I was like, no everyone was everyone that was walking around was sort of pale 
looking like they hadn't slept. They were so sort of begrudging of, of everywhere, muttering under their breath. They had one they had one mixer. I mean, this is kind of going off a bit, but one mixer that they had to stick a biro in that's in pastry so that it this kind of that it turned that the motor worked. And they were muttering under their breath, going, two star, two star and someone was like, I need a biro for this to work and it was like how is this happening? This is a two Michelin star pub with amazing food that they're turning yeah, out. It was brilliant. And the you know, a waiting list of a year. And I was like behind the scenes though, I was like, I just thought, I don't want to be a part of this. It's and very I very surprising when you say that. Yeah. Because it when you go, it, it's a lovely experience. The dining room's brilliant. The food, yeah, it's it's top quality. Yeah. Obviously all not all not well behind the scenes. <laughs> Restaurants are closing, you know, sort of like Sunday, Monday or something like that. Um you have to be realistic and give for staff to give give you sort of a hundred percent and be up there working at their optimum you know having respect and wanting to give you like passion and the best of their ability then no one you've got to like be fair to them yeah and i'm i'm really i am that's a big sort of passion of mine is a work-life balance and everyone you know as many people can sort of say well you know you might be being lazy if you want time off but it it isn't that at all. <laughs> it's like you you need. I think to work at your optimum. When I worked at Rick Steins, for example, um, that was just sort of a case of no, no one. Everyone was there working constantly, and people would turn up for work, and no no one cared. There was such a lack of respect for the managers because they'd be there going, "I haven't had a day off for two three weeks. I'm working like seventy eighty hour a week. You know what what what's." you know, why should I be working for you? So they were there giving, you know, a half-hearted job. And like, I think especially when, I guess for something like street food, you are, you're dealing with customers, you're dealing with people. And if you, you're grumpy or you haven't slept or you haven't sort of had your own time for your sort of, the, your life, you know, yeah. socialising, making friends, doing, you know, doing your hobbies, being sort of like fulfilled if you there is a balance then you're going to give a better service and you're going to want to be at work you're going to be want to be there on monday morning at nine o'clock yeah, or be want to be there because you can sort of you've had that little break even you know if it's like mentally or physically and then you can give 100 110 percent yeah so i'm really even you know i've just started and i've got a few few guys members of staff who work for me um i all i you know it's always sort of being aware of the times they've started, how long it's been, you know, in any sort of normal job, it a lot of the sort of chef traits, chefing traits, aren't acceptable. You know, you get and you get a half hour break. I, yeah. I don't. I mean, I should swap swat up on this. Maybe you can look this up <laughs> before <laughs> this goes out. But you know, what's le- what is the legal requirement? I think it's like an, a half hour every six hours you work. I think it's quite blurry, but I think i think yeah. it depends on the company a it lot does. of the time they just make you sign it away anyway so yeah and and i just think that i know i know that i don't necessarily you have to stick to that and business is is different and sometimes in street food you know you get you're busy at a certain time and you you can't have staff going on breaks but i think if you em- implement a system from the beginning and when i was at uni um doing my i then stayed on and did my postgrad and meeting with some some sort of some people there it was like going going sort of leading on from the culture and the industry that's gone in the past it's like now starting sort of a new generation of going well 
like I understand that you know the kind of split shift thing and the staff and you've got to work and we're open for this many hours but if you kind of implement something in the beginning and I kind of have a rotor or I am able to get sort of casual staff and full-time staff and have a, a system from the start I just hope that I can always retain some kind of like system where no one is working any ridiculous hours or I am I, I can say do you know what take a half hour break go even if you want to just go and sit and go on your phone or go and have some food or yeah. do something just to give you a, a break from this and then you're going to come back and go right I'm ready to work <laughs> yeah be fresh and rare and yeah scary. yeah have you always felt like that like um or was it your bad experiences in the restaurants that's kind yeah, of yeah no that definitely it was definitely a few places I've, that I've worked at where I've Everywhere I've sort, I kind of have worked at you. I've sort of tried to have this kind of opinion, not opinion, overall view of just kind of surveying it and looking and going, what are they doing well here? What can I learn from? How am I feeling? How is this getting the best out of my staff? How's morale? How is that showing? You know, how is that evidence in performance and the how the customers are feeling and things like that. So it's definitely been like I've said through the bad experiences where that's been more prominent. Yeah, some of your bad experiences are your best lessons. Mm-hmm. I, I truly believe that. Yeah. Uh, going back to Morridge now. Yeah, I was like, digressed a bit. <laughs> uh, so you got some big news last week, was it? Yeah, I have. So um, I think, I, I guess, coming into 2019, as lots of people do, you make New Year's resolutions or you think right I'm gonna get on board with this or I'm gonna really tackle this and with Morridge the way it had been like I said I'd gone very much into sort of um, evening events and street food um, and I kind of had I sort of re-evaluated that over Christmas I had a break I, I gave myself some time off between Christmas and New Year I did nothing I did a puzzle I never even sat down to do a puzzle is it hard to do <laughs> not the puzzle um, <laughs> giving yourself some time off um, yeah <laughs> um no it was okay I think that um it's that kind of it is a weird time isn't it? it's like no like no man's land where you kind of I knew a lot of people had time off then you know people went back in the offices if I was going to get back into my office and get onto emails and organize if people necessarily weren't going to be there so yeah. I, I it was quite easy to go right do you know what see it through do you know take some time off really relax and try and just let your mind sort of not have too much to worry about or think about and then come sort of like you know have new year celebrate january 2nd 3rd be back and sort of you know be ready to really like take the business forward and um it was yeah you know pretty much like a week a week in um i kind of just had this um i I don't know why i mean i'd had the contact for a while but i hadn't pursued it um but I thought, you know what, I really want to push the trike. I want to push breakfast. That was always my passion. And that was at the forefront of the business. That's what I wanted to do in the first place. So I contacted Great Western Arcade. And um, and that was also through a job. I worked in the arcade for three weeks at Anderson and Hill, the deli, which is great. Yeah, I know it well. Yeah, it does really good food. <laughs> and, um, you know, I worked there for sort of three weeks during uni and it, it got, I had too much on. Um, but I always kind of kept a good relationship with Will, the owner, and I'd spoken to him and, and, and I was, I knew that I wanted a pitch in town. I wanted a pitch in town. I say Birmingham, city centre. Um, I know what you meant. Yeah. <laughs> any, any Brummie listen that yeah, knows exactly know. what you meant. <laughs> um, I knew I wanted a pitch sort of kind of central. I was, 
obviously Grand Central would be great but that was kind of a hard place to go for when I'm just starting out and I'd looked at Colmore Row and sort of around that like I said where York's was yeah. it's actually I think it's closed down now that that spot um but kind of around there and look I mean I call it Pigeon Park I think it's, uh, yeah, yeah. As I get anyone in Birmingham yeah, you know. knows exactly what you mean. <laughs> yeah, so around there, and um, I think it's St Philip's, is it St Philip's Cathedral? I think it is, yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, I spoke to Will Hill and said that I had, you know, I, I was really looking for a pitch, and what, you know, who was the manager of the arcade? The arcade would be a good, good spot to be in, and that was kind of at the point where I was very much open to, you know, I was kind of contacting everyone I could, um, utilizing sort of contacts I had in the industry and um, I like obviously I'm with NCAS the nationwide catering association yeah yeah and um I had some good contacts there and been speaking to a few people and I thought Do you know what um I'm just going to send the guy an email there was a new new guy who um had taken over managing the arcade so if you yeah probably like last week two weeks ago I sort of comprised an email um you know it took me a while because I wanted to get over who I was in the right way and what I was about um and I was you know sort of very pessimistic which you know I, th- I thought you know this is my first shot I'm going to email someone um it's going to take you know I was very prepared to sort of hear nothing or, or say no you know this isn't the right fit for in the arcade um but you know amazingly he got back to me the next day and said we'd love to meet you was impressed with the email and the sound of the business but said we'd like to meet you in person to hear you know to meet you to hear about your ethos and the direction you want to take the business in um and could I meet with him and the asset manager which all sounded so sort of like you know professional and and, you know like very sort of like business orientated so I took a week and I prepared a presentation that I'd already had quite a bit of help with NCAS from um so I kind of finalized that and tailored it exactly to this obviously this new sort of specific outlook of the business which was going to be the trike um doing porridge doing breakfast and yeah so I went um for a meeting there and it was yeah it went really well and they've offered me a pitch in Great Western Arcade pretty much when I like it so it's going to be at the moment it's going to be five days a week um, Monday to Friday and I think probably being there the prime breakfast time before work so it'll be sort of half seven till about ten half ten yeah and yeah so it's just kind of going from strength to strength and I was absolutely over the moon I mean to think back to think that I first pitched this a few years ago at uni and wanted to have a trike around there and uh, that I've made it happen I think it was the first time I've kind of been like like I smiled and I was like because like you've said it's street food and running your own business is so up and down and there's I've really sort of I really have felt the lows so to have something and be just kind of go like this is what I wanted and I I can do this and I you know this is just the foundation you know um I can start off um having this pitch in the morning and then we can go from there we can see how it how it's received I can then you know bring in drinks bring in juices smoothies cold pressed juices yeah. i'm you know i mentioned to them as well looking at then you know i've i've been lucky that then i've got this other side where i've done risotto and i've done arancini and also looking at different grains and doing salad bowls and buddha bowls and i mean sort of it's kind of, it's endless yeah, um, it's and i think yeah um and i think that for me i've always 
very much sort of been like I can't I'm never going to be so set on the fact that I've got to do porridge and it's got to be breakfast and that's what morridge is I mean morridge in itself is a take on porridge but that I want that to I want to get across that that encompasses lots of things more than porridge yeah more than more exactly (laughs) so more than porridge um and yeah so there's so there's a lot of room for growth and room for um adapting and changing and you know seeing where that seeing what people want and where the market's going and I, I mean I do a lot of research in London I tend to go down there regularly and just do sort of trips which is great for me I get to try things and eat yeah. at places is Not... there something else down there similar or yeah there is there's um a place in Covent Garden called 26 grains um I've seen it actually, yeah have you so I've been there a few times um where and she was also she was on um the radio for food program podcast and they did a special on yeah. porridge um which I listened to while I was at uni for some for some research and um like she very much i think started with a similar thing in that she really liked porridge and she wanted to do it she did it in some tube stations um sort of on the go and then that you know she built that up and it she ended up having a permanent spot in um covent garden in neil's yard night yeah neil's yard around there um and that's like the tiniest little place but the every time i've been it's absolutely packed you know you're queuing you're waiting for a table she does say she does a savory porridge too where um that's it's like a yeah, savory porridge with avocado and egg and sriracha and then she does um other things as well you know so she's obviously diversified into yeah. sort of like different things on toast and doing soups and dals and using different grains and that is definitely sort of like an you know it is an inspiration for me um and I think it's just I, with Birmingham, you know, where with our food scene is great. There's so many places opening up, and I think in the last few years it's really kind of taken off. But there's still that sense of I can't be sort of going there with these really out there sort of superfood or crazy dishes yeah. without people, you know, people being on board. I think I'm just sort of trying to just offer something that might appeal you know appeals to people who maybe like um dishes they know or you know more plain flavors them in generally yeah (laughs) so you know i'm gonna have on my menu for being in great western arcade i'm gonna have you know a simple my porridge base which is with like cinnamon and sea salt and like flax and chia seeds and then having that with maple syrup like you know that's kind of out there for some people anyway um but then i'm gonna also try and have a dish weekly that is going to be you know probably have some things like turmeric people you know turmeric lattes yeah. they they took off i don't know if anyone really liked them but um, i actually like them did do you yeah um and like doing different things like i've i've got sort of like done porridge with like um buckwheat and amaranth and quinoa is really popular but doing and then you, you know do, using different ingredients um that I think you'd go down to London and those those sort of dishes wouldn't seem too out of place, no. you know, and everyone wants to try things. Whereas um, it's just kind of knowing your audience, I think, and being aware of what what people want. And, you know, I'm more than happy to have my this stall in Great Western Arcade and, like, I'm going to be there every day, you know, chatting to people and really engaging with them. And that's a massive reason why I want the trike and why I think Great Western Arcade want me there is the trike as well because you're there you're catching people as they walk past you're yeah. engaging you're speaking to them it's very different to being a chef being in a kitchen where you don't see anyone it's and a, even it's a great fit to be honest when yeah. I seen your post announcing that you 
you'd wear were having a permanent spot there. I thought, what a great fit! Like you see the trike and the, I know I couldn't have asked. It's quite charming, it was yeah. it was like a, it honestly like I I it's sort of like what I dreamed of. I I thought of a pitch around there. I, you know, I've thought about Great Western Arcade, but I thought there's no way I'll get that. But I yeah. think the guy um, Sean, who is the manager, and Bev, um, they they're just you know great western arcade if people don't know you know it's a real home to independence they you know we, they've got wine specialist whiskey the Ma- miss macaroon there's Brilliant. so you know um it's really and the, there's lots of clothing shops that are very specific and i think they just really want to support people i mean i went to the meeting with them and it was all about very much wanting whatever they could do for me and if it was the right fit for me and if um you know how how could they sort of help me to get off the ground and help me to be in the best possible you know in the best way or the best spot or you know and I I was just sort of blown away kind of thinking you know they weren't money hungry they weren't like this is how much we want for a pitch and that's it it was like do you need power we can organize that and I I, you know I kind of thought this is too good to be true it's brilliant especially as a first time yeah it's just what you needed yeah and there was no there weren't you know I didn't have to sign any crazy sort of like year contract it was like you know we'll try it out for six weeks and see how it goes and hopefully you know I, I might you know kind of be there for 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 a long time and i can see it doing really well yeah it's perfect i think you're a great fit um how did the trike come about did you always have the trike or no well the the trike trike is yeah there is that's weird (laughs) that you asked that it's like no that sounds like that's rehearsed um yeah no so i i always wanted to try like i said i pitched that as a business a few years ago and then when i started working for lee for baked and brick um i you know i was seeing what he was doing and i i was getting really sort of like positive and thinking do you know what I can give this a go and I think I just one day I had this kind of like boost and I went on eBay and I looked for trikes and I saw one that seemed quite reasonable you know it was 350 pounds didn't seem too you know wasn't breaking the bank too much and I thought if it doesn't work out I can sell it um but it looked you know it needed a lot I thought that needs a lot of work but the base was there so I I think with with some encouragement from Lee and encouragement from NCAS, from Mark Laurie, um, one of the directors, who were really on board with Morridge and on board with my business idea. Um, I went to go and view the trike, took my brother with me, it was in Northampton, and went to view it and, you know, I tried to ride it and that was a failure and I thought, <laughs> I thought, well, maybe, you know, maybe this, the kind of idea that I had that I'd cycle around various places and pull up and serve porridge might not be, uh, might not be the one. But I decided that I was going to go for it. And I thought, you know what, what have I got to lose? Sometimes I think you've just got to take the plunge. And as Lee, as Lee had said, you know, often you, you've got to make mistakes for, before you sort of, you know, first. And then you can go from there. And you're not really going to know unless you take that plunge. Yeah. And I think that is so much about street food. You've just got to go for it. Um, so I, I, pay, I gave, them a, gave the guy a deposit for the trike. And I said I was going to arrange to go and pick it up in a week and I was going to somehow make it happen which seems to be my motto I'll make it work I was like I'll get a van I'll hire a van or I'll borrow a van and I'll go and pick up this trike and bring it back and then in that time sort of in that week where I was thinking about how I was going to get a van um I got he got in contact with me and said that unfortunately he'd left the advert on eBay and um someone else had seen it and was like contacting him kind of like you know being very persistent saying i need that trike i think you know you've left the advert up and i've you know i'll pay you i need you know i need to use it i just need it for the weekend i'll pay you double i'll I'll pay you all this money 
and this guy who you know was very loyal and said well I'm sorry you know I'm giving it to Naomi she's paid a deposit you know I hadn't paid the full amount so we quite yeah. you know it easily yeah. could have just gone actually I'll give it to him this guy's offering me more but he was very loyal and said no um, so he contacted me and said explained it all and said at the end of the day it's up to you it you know if you don't want to let you know you could lend it to this guy you, you know or you could just say no so I thought about it, spoke to my sister and, you know, I kind of thought, well, you know, who wants a tr- this kind of rubbish tea trike for a weekend? Like, who <laughs> wants it that much? And, um, you know, I thought, oh, I've just sort of gone with it. I've taken the plunge. I've, I've made the deal. And who knows, this guy could probably take it and trash it and it could come back broken. And then it turned out, of all people, um, that it was sort of like one of the production managers for Tomb Raider Productions. All right. So the new tomb. So yeah, at the time, yeah. it was the new Tomb Raider film, which actually came out a couple of months ago. Now, um, but at that time, they were filming it in London. So um, I finally got contact with this man, and he was, you know, very well spoken, and said that basically he'd seen this advert on eBay and had gone, um, "Well, you know, that's what we need. That's going to be perfect on the set as a prop." Um, you know, he'd been to the people above him and said, "Look, can we have the funds for this? We're going to get it." And then finally contacted the guy, and the guy had gone. Well, I'm sorry, I've sold it to Naomi. So, you know, there was a lot of toing and froing, and I was kind of trying to assert myself, saying, "Oh, mate, hang on a minute. Obviously, money's no issue to you. You're not going to care about little old Morridge and my trike. You know, you're going to trash it." So we had, and I, you know, I had to come up with an invoice and all this stuff, and, I, and then we came to an agreement in that um, he'd pay me the cost. He paid me three hundred and fifty pounds, so the cost I'd paid for it, he paid me to hire it excellent <laughs> um yeah he picked it up from this guy in northampton took it down to london used it and then um brought it delivered it back to me in, in birmingham oh, um and i and i was sort of you know i was there thinking hang on this is this is too good to be true like this is something's going to happen either it's going to go off on set and it'll get it'll get damaged or you know we'll just see we'll see what happens we'll, we'll wait till it comes back and then i think the next, we came to this agreement and you know invoices and documents and money was exchanged and then I got this call from him and he said Naomi you know I've been thinking about what you said and I completely understand that um you know you're apprehensive and you're a bit worried about giving us the trike why don't I say that you can come on the set and you can be an extra and we'll pay you and you can stand with your trike so you know so you see you witness it's not going to get damaged and I was just I was just on the end of the phone like like what like like oh my god yeah like like what so i can i can go and paint i can be an extra in a film like on a massive budget film set like like tomb raider the new one with alicia vikander yeah yeah and um and like i was sort of just completely like like on the spot and i thought about it and then in in the end i said no what? Which I know, I know. After all that, and and everyone I tell, they're like, Naomi, why? What were you thinking? And I mean, it was silly, really. I, in my, I had, I was at uni, and I had like an, an assignment, and I think it was a big assignment, and I'm very last minute, and I had that weekend to do it, which was to write three thousand words, and I was like, I can't go to London. I need to do this assignment. Yeah. But I mean, what would have been one failed assignment as opposed to being in, you know, in Tomb Raider? <laughs> um. So I did. I said no, which was a shame. But then, yeah, no. The trike came back. There was a few months. Mi- they still used the bike, but you yeah, no, they, they, no. yeah. I I said no. Do you know what? I think you're on board and you understand where I'm coming from, so you can have it. Um. So they get it got delivered back to me sort of a week later. A few things they cut off the lights and a few things, but it didn't matter. You know, they were minor things. And yeah. um. So I got the trike back, and yeah, it paid for itself quite quickly, oh gosh, which it- was crazy. And I remember speaking to Lee and Mark telling a few of my lecturers and it was like 
Naomi, only that would happen to you. Like, how how on earth has that happened? So the trike started off with quite an interesting story. And then it, you know, it's, it, you know, I had it probably over a year, 18 months in the garage. Um, just kind of going, you know, going back, looking at it, thinking, oh, I've got, you know, this has got, I've got to get this going and I've got to do some, you know, it needs some work. And then eventually, sort of last end of last year, one of my friends, good friends, who's a carpenter, and sort of um, architect does a, a lot of woodwork. Um, he came to he came over and we just kind of I had to be quite sort of right. Let's let's do it. I'm gonna I'm gonna try this these these designs out. And I mean this it was hard because there was so many like I had so many visions of how I wanted it to look, but realistic to the frame of it and and how much time I guess you know how quickly I wanted it done and how much money I wanted to spend. You know, yeah. you're starting a business; money is a massive thing. Yeah. Um, but being realistic and also having a friend do it, and he came to the house, he came to the garage, and I was really lucky that I've got the space. He could work on it, and I could be here, and we could discuss through things. I mean, there was there's a few companies that I know and I'd researched that do complete trike conversions from scratch, or yeah. I've spoken to some guys um, who are in London and they do amazing trike conversions, and they you said they could use mine as base but there was something in that i'd have to transport it there and and i thought you know it was really expensive but i think maybe the outcome might have been probably a a bit better or a bit more professional but i think to start off with my first trike you know it might hopefully who knows i might have a few trikes um (laughs) around but i think to start with and i'm you know i'm passionate about reusing and recycling and upcycling things was able to use a lot of materials i had lying around at home convert sort of like old bits of tables and wood and you by having my friend alex come and do it here it just kind of was a so i think the first trike that i've done obviously the first one for my business that meant a lot and it was really like kind of personal it's all very charming it looks really charming on the photos i've seen yeah um it still needs a bit of work Mm. and you know needs a bit of paint and the, um, a few sort of teething problems with the weight. And she's a film tipping. star. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a, a name for her? Or? No, no, I, I don't what, yet. Ollie's got obviously Etsy. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, no, I no don't. No name I, for her yet. No, I think, I'm, I'm kind of hoping that some sort of pun, some kind of like oat pun is going to come to me, but at the moment, no. Nothing yet. No. <laughs> We're coming up to the hour. I know we were kind of laughing at the start that we, we wouldn't go on for two hours, but we're already over an hour long. <laughs> so I'm going to let you go at that. I think that was brilliant. Okay. Um, thanks very much for that, Naomi. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. And I think, um, I mean, I do ramble and I've digressed and gone off on a few tangents, but hopefully that it's a good insight for people listening. It's been excellent. Yeah, I mean, definitely have to come back maybe in a year, see how you get yeah, on. Yeah, see where I'm at then. That would be lovely. Brilliant. Thanks Thank a lot. Thank you. Well, that's that. Thank you all for listening. Please remember to subscribe, rate and review our podcast. This really does help us. Yeah, it really does. Even if you could just help by recommending us to a friend or a family member, helps to get our name out there. If you haven't yet seen our blog, go check it out. It's where you can find all our show notes, restaurant reviews and other food ramblings. The website is www breakingbreadpodcastuk.blog Also, go check out our social media. Our Insta is full of pics of food. Also, feel free to leave comments. We love hearing from you. All the links to our social media and our guest social media can be found in our show notes. Thanks Thanks again for listening. listening. Until Until next time, time, take care. care.